0: Well, the good news from the Jawbreaker fiasco is I could at least repurpose the stuff for home
1: security. Okay, that's something, but I still have a question. Namely, why does the home security require a massive laser cannon? Oh,
0: that's for intimidation, but it's still being tested. I think I'm making real progress, though. Check this out. Scientific progress goes thwomp? Progress never sounds how you expect it to. Yeah, it worked for Super Mario Bros. 3. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch watch them all. The Pemmy and James kind of sorta hopefully funny funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish, and I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sorta hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And we're getting back to our proverbial roots, because it's been a long, long while since we've done something from the 80s.
1: We're doing Transformers, yo! <laughs> <laughs> yep,
0: it is the original, first-generation Transformers, which ran from 1984 to 1987 in syndication. And before we dive too deep into this... A special thanks to the folks at tfwiki.net, aka Teletran1. Without their many, many, many years of collective research and writing, this would have been far more difficult.
1: I highly recommend reading their uh, section on Skylinks at some point. It's quite hysterical because they wrote it all as if Skylinks is saying it. <laughs> nice. So, this
0: whole mess began in Japan. With Takara Toys, creators of Diaclone and MicroChange, little toy robots in mechanized armor, you could flip a few elements here and there to make them into nearly exact facsimiles of something else. A car, a tape recorder, a microscope, and so on.
1: A freaking gun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These toys were the brainchilds of Shogi Kawamori and Kazutka Miyatake, would also play massive roles in designing and developing the multimedia property Macross. And, as it also turns out, these toys have a, a somewhat direct link to another Hasbro property. G.I. Joe! So, Hasbro bringing these things back in house was kind of almost like taking things full circle.
1: And that's also ignoring the fact that, uh, one of the tr- original Transformers was an actual Macross vehicle, uh, Jetfire was an actual uh, Macross Valkyrie, but it caused uh, problems later when Macross got brought over as Robotech, but that's a whole story for another time.
0: So Hasbro purchased the molds to these toys for distribution in 1983, but not the character licenses associated with them in the Japanese line, opting instead to make their own names. And Hasbro's working relationship with Marvel Comics, established through their fruitful collaborations on G.I. Joe, led to the House of Ideas and, in turn, writer Bob Budiansky being drafted to come up with these names. Thus, Diaclone Truck Convoy became Autobots' leader Optimus Prime. The jet fighter dubbed Jet Robo would be redubbed into Starscream and recolored and remolded into Skywarp and and Thundercracker and And others.
1: And then later Dirge and Ramjet and Thrust.
0: Let's not forget Acid Rain.
1: Uh, Sunstorm.
0: And Microman Gun Robo P-38 gained the moniker Megatron.
1: Special plus since he's a Walther P-38, which is the gun used by Lupin III. There's a
0: crossover that needs to happen someday. <laughs> so with toys arriving on the shelves and comics in the works, Hasbro took aim at the third part of their grand plan to emulate the success they were having with G.I. Joe for their new robot toy line, a syndicated animated series. This is where the story between that and the toys diverges, so if you want to know more about the toys, check out the Netflix episode on the Transformers on the show The Toys That Made Us. Yeah, we're here about the toons. Yep. Which began life as a collaboration between Sunbro Productions, a newly formed animation firm, and Marvel Productions, which was the uh, reanimated, no pun intended, husk of DePatty Freeling Productions.
1: That have had their own uh, sets of ups and downs, I'll put it that way. Yeah. The Transformers began with a three-episode
0: miniseries establishing the premise and characters before moving to a weekly spot in syndication, typically on Saturdays, in the latter portion of 1984. Now, Marvel Comics and Marvel Productions were frequently in a situation more antagonistic than the old the the left-hand-doesn't-know-what-the-right-hand-is-doing scenario. And Marvel Productions had their own idea for what to do with this license that was more in line with David DePatty's Wheelhouse. Car and Cable, a comedy show about a boy, a robot, and a dog. Yeah,
1: I'm glad we didn't get
0: that. So, some art includes the silhouette of the character that, who would eventually become Prowl, but this premise might have existed beforehand with, to tie in with a different, never launched toy line altogether. Very little besides that is known about this pitched cartoon, but its existence is at least worth mentioning. So far, so good, right? Yeah. Well, here's where the used Energon hits the exhaust pipe, to mangle a phrase. The deadlines for production on this cartoon were notoriously tight. Many episodes went from script to screen in as little as four months, just so they could be on the air in time for the toys to arrive on the shelves of your local Lionel Kitty City or KB Toys.
1: I'm sure that got even more insane with season two and three, which were actually went to weekday syndication.
0: Even with veteran writers and editors like Marv Wolfman and David Wise on the team, they couldn't keep things consistent with a pace so positively meteoric. Thus, animation errors like the all-blue Optimus Prime that Pemmy alluded to in our Speed Buggy podcast, and glaring continuity problems between episodes and even between seasons, ran rife through the show.
1: Yeah, the Constructicons are probably the best example of that. Like, in Season 1, there's an episode where Megatron says he created the Constructicons on Earth. And then in Season 2, there's an episode where Omega Supreme has a flashback to hanging out with the Constructicons on cybertron long before they left the earth then there's another episode in season three that suggests that the constructicons created megatron so you know
0: most kids at the time either didn't notice or didn't care story editors bryce malik and dick robbins in an internal memo stated that action should be emphasized over plot to ensure success with the target audience the kids begging mom and dad to buy the toys.
1: Despite that, they still had a guy hired for continuity. I wonder he must have had the easiest job ever on this show. <laughs> well,
0: it worked. With an almost instantly iconic soundtrack filled with catchy musical stings <laughs> and memorable sound effects, wildly soap operatic voice acting from the cast of well-honed animation veterans, And a premise that sparked so much imagination in American kids,
1: the Transformers were a
0: freaking sensation. And hey, I'll be
1: honest, despite me, like, taking some stabs earlier, I love this show. I think it's a heck of a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Problems and all. The formula that worked so well previously
0: for G.I. Joe and competitor Mattel's He-Man was exploding in 1984, and Transformers rode that wave to international success.
1: Unfortunately, this is a podcast where I show the millions of Transformer toys I own right now because I, I freaking love this franchise.
0: Now, there's no shortage of voice performers in the show, and we will get to as many as we can that are relevant to today's episodes as they come up. But before that, three names deserve very specific mention. Of course, we can't talk Transformers without talking about the distinctive, fatherly voice of Autobots leader Optimus Prime, a.k.a. Peter Cullen already a known quantity in voice acting as Eeyore in Disney's Winnie the Pooh films and Mario in Ruby Spears' Saturday Supercade block.
1: He actually appeared in quite a few uh, Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera cartoons before this. Peter Cullen's a great voice actor, Mm -hmm. and his prime voice is really great. It's actually based on his uh, brother, who I think was in the Navy, if I remember right. Right. And least we forget, Cullen would
0: also go on to perform Monterey Jack in Chippendale's Rescue Rangers.
1: If I remember the story right, because Peter Collins told this story multiple times, whenever he got the, uh, he was auditioning for the role, he told his uh, brother, Larry, that he was uh, auditioning to play a truck, but a heroic truck. And he said his brother got, like, really serious all of a sudden, and he said, Peter, you gotta be a real hero. Not one of those Hollywood fake heroes. You gotta be one of those heroes that feel, that actually isn't scared to have emotion. And He said that he took that to heart, and whenever he tried, all he could think of was his brother, and that was where the voice came from. Impressive.
0: Now, for Transformers, Cullen would also perform a few other parts, most notably Ironhide. But it's his obvious performance that's become so iconic, not in small part thanks to the advice from his brother, that he still performs the character in the hybrid live-action-slash-CGI movies today, which are finally getting genuinely good, I might add. Yeah.
1: I never, I haven't seen Bumblebee. I do need to get around to that because I, I heard it's good. I just got so burned on that third Michael Bay movie that I just, I don't know. I can going. personally vouch for Bumblebee. I, I will say I don't think the first Michael Bay movie was all that bad.
0: It was, it was okay. It, it established the premise. It had a couple missteps, but you know we're not talking about the movies. Yeah, exactly. Now standing in opposition to Optimus. <laughs> is Decepticon leader Megatron, as performed by podcast favorite Frank Welker.
1: Frank, I'm in every 80s and 90s cartoon ever made Welker.
0: (laughs) To date, we've heard Frank as Freddy Jones in the Scooby-Doo cartoons, as both Heckle and Jekyll in their new adventures from Filmation, and numerous parts here, there, and everywhere, which he would continue to contribute to so many future series and films. Before the Transformers... Frank is pulling his weight in a massive way. Also performing Soundwave, Mirage, Rumble, Frenzy, Skywarp, Sludge, Wheelie,
1: and many more. It's like, he's practically almost half the cast in this show. Might as well be. Frank's talented, what can you say?
0: (laughs) Now standing at Megatron's side, usually looking for the right angle to stick a knife in his back, is the ever-ambitious Starscream. I freaking love
1: Starscream.
0: <laughs> Who is, of course, performed by Christopher Latta. His screechy vocals are best known as Cobra Commander and Gung-Ho in G.I. Joe, and he'd also be the original voice of Mo Sizlac in The Simpsons before uh, being dismissed. And eventually passing away. Yeah. And here he'd also contribute for the Transformers, Laserbeak, Wheeljack, Buzzsaw, and human character Sparkplug Witwicky.
1: The Starscream voice is so iconic, though. It's, it's a voice that few people have been able to even come close to replicating in future shows. Because it's, it's screechy, but also kind of gravelly. It's such a unique voice.
0: Yeah, you think Popeye's going to rip your vocal cords to shreds? I'm not even going to try this one. Decepticons,
1: follow me!
0: No, Better than what I could do.
1: Maybe I shouldn't do that. I just got over a sore throat. <laughs>
0: And, of course, all these voice performers were under the direction of Wally Burr, who got his start on the original Super Friends and would be prominent in productions for Marvel and Deke through the 80s. And Dynasty Warriors fans, like myself, would know him as the voice for Shu's Elder General, Huang Zhang.
1: I love me some Dynasty Warriors. (laughs) From what some voice actors have said, Wally Burr's uh, direction methods are somewhat... uh... Infamous. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Oh. But aside from those voices, the most famous sound of the series wasn't a voice at all, but five eight hertz pulses. Shoot, 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 shoot. We'll insert the real thing here. I have to ask, how many parents were driven nuts by kids trying to imitate that noise? You'd think they'd make the toys actually make that sound these days. Sadly, I can't find who can take credit or blame for this now essential piece of 80s
1: audio. Probably, sadly, it was probably just some sort of stock sound that they found. It did happen a lot. To be sure. So,
0: before we dive into our episodes, do we want to say anything else, Pem?
1: Uh, I love me some Transformers, but no, I I, I think diving into the episode would probably be best since this... First episode does introduce my favorite Transformers character.
0: Absolutely. So here we go with SOS Dinobots, written by Donald F. Glut, and originally aired October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty four. I used to have this episode on a FHE tape when I was a kid. Oh, lovely, <laughs> nice. Was it just me or was that FHE intro
1: creepy? It 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 did seem weird. It was like all dark and just. I don't know. It seemed weirdly kind of sinister. So we open with
0: Ironhide, suspecting that a localized set of tremors near the Ark, the Ark being the Transformers, I mean the Autobots' crashed space shuttle. How that went unnoticed for so many millions of years, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you got nothing either.
1: Y- y- Uh, You know, there's still lots of unexplored areas of the world in the 1980s. I don't got much else.
0: Okay. But he uses some of his equipment to check out what's been going on. And Spike Witwicky notices the tremors are strongest in one particular area. And Spike, we should make mention, is voiced
1: by Corey Burton. Hey, he is, uh, I think Corey Burton's probably best known as the voice of uh, Dell on Chip and Del's Rescue Rangers, and still yeah. voices Dell for majority of Disney related projects.
0: He's also inherited Professor Ludwig
1: von Drake and Captain Hook. See, uh, he also voices uh, other characters in this, like uh, Shockwave, who he actually reprices the role of for uh, Transformers Animated.
0: Also notable for Braun in this series, and Brainiac in the DC Animated Universe and keeping things with Sunbow and Hasbro, Tomax of the Crimson Twins, in G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. The other
1: one's Michael Bell, if I remember right. Probably. Yeah, Burton gets around. He even gets to actually voice Megatron on Transformers Animated, which he actually does a pretty good job at. I'll give him credit. Indeed. So once they're inside,
0: they discover a cavern filled with the uh, fossilized remains of, well dinosaurs and this gets the attention of both optimus prime and
1: Wheeljack. as spike gives him a little history lesson to explain what dinosaurs are which you know this came at a perfect time for me when i was a kid it was like i loved dinosaurs as a kid i love these big huge robots you know you hit both of them together and it's like i don't think you could have appeased me better in any possible way so optimus set
0: wants spike to give the autobots a bit deeper history lesson on these things Which is, of course, a perfect time to transition to something else entirely. water generator? Yeah, the Great Falls Hydroelectric Power Facility, where Soundwave and Reflector are doing a little stakeout. Now, most of us know Soundwave, but Reflector deserves a little bit extra mention here, because the circumstances of this character are... unique.
1: He was a mail-order character, or mail-order toy.
0: Yeah, because for starters, not only being mail-order, Reflector is three characters. Namely, Viewfinder, Spyglass, and Spectro, who combined to form into a camera. And not only were they mail-order, they were only mail-order as of 1986, well after the character was being phased out of the cartoon. Don't.
1: Yeah, bit of an oops. Yeah, you know, they've already got like... Over 20 char- individual characters. Oh, shoot, even more than over 20 individual characters they gotta give screen time to in these shows, so in this f- first season alone, so. Mm-hmm.
0: So they fly back to the Decepticons' underwater base, and here comes my first quasi issue. I'm not gonna call this a huge thing, but the Decepticons fly. And I don't mean transform into jets or helicopters or anything like that. They fly like Superman, yep they can do that one it kind of makes the the jets a little less impressive when you think about when you think too hard about it.
1: Well, the autobots can run around and they still turn into cars,
0: yeah, but two, just flying around as well big giant honking robots kind of defeats the whole premise of spying and reconnaissance and just the general robots in disguise premise.
1: I kind of feel like this cartoon kind of threw the robots, the disguise aspect out the window after episode three, but... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Seemingly, I think they can actually fly faster in their, like... If they can have a jet mode, they actually can fly faster in their jet mode.
0: Okay. Okay, That, that, that assuages that complaint then. But anyhow, it's just something I noticed as Odd.
1: Yeah, that, that was always like Starscream's big uh, getaway gimmick. Every time he'd piss off Megatron, it was quickly turn into a jet and fly the heck out of there.
0: <laughs> you know, this isn't one of my trademark. Now wait just a minute, moments because there are going to be bigger fish to fry coming up later. Let me tell you.
1: Just be happy I didn't pick Carnage and C Minor as one of the episodes. That episode has more flaws in one episode than the entire series combined.
0: So next up, we see Spike and Hound touring a museum of natural history to get some more uh, education in on dinosaurs. And, um... Did Hound shrink in the wash?
1: (laughs) Either Hound shrunk or this is the biggest museum ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I thought my issue with Speed Buggy recently was bad.
1: Oh, God, I'm just going to keep referencing other episodes of this show at this rate, because I'm like, oh, wait, be happy this isn't the episode B.O.T. bought, because uh, that one literally has, like, Ironhide going into a school. Like, normal kid human school, and it's just like, oh, this is the biggest frickin' school ever.
0: <laughs> now, Hound snaps a few holographic images of the dinosaur fossils on display, and this translates into a presentation with animated versions of them as they were scientifically perceived in the 1980s.
1: Well, seemingly not accurate now, I still kind of like this look better than giant chickens.
0: So Wheeljack and Ratchet petition Optimus Prime to uh, make their own robot dinosaurs, and Ratchet is performed by Don Messick.
1: My favorite voice actor in... uh... The, like, OG of Hanna-Barbera. I mean, him and Dawes were, like, there since the start.
0: Now, I should mention that most of the time when I would be watching Transformers, I'd be at a local daycare slash day camp center that had a big uh, projection TV unit that they would go to whenever they had to turn operations indoors due to inclement weather or winter conditions or whatnot. So, I didn't always hear things perfectly when it came to this show. So, going back to rewatch these for the first time in decades, you can imagine my surprise when Ranger Freaking Smith's
1: voice comes out of Ratchet. <laughs> yep. Uh, Don, Me- uh, Don Messick also does the voice of Gears in this show, too. So. Mm-hmm. The grumpy Autobot. <laughs> Well, one of the grumpy Autobots. He, he's the
0: grumpiest Autobot. <laughs> Optimus gives him uh, his blessing to go forward, and the second grumpiest Autobot, Huffer, voices his doubts.
1: It'll never work. Big waste of time.
0: <laughs> Huffer is another podcast favorite, John <laughs> Stevenson.
1: That's right. And another Hanna-Barbera alumni. Yeah, they, they brought a lot of them on. Uh, his uh, first big role was uh, uh, Mr. Slate on the Flintstones as well as Fancy Fancy on uh, Top Cat
0: yes sir back with the Decepticons Megatron announces that the Great Falls are his means to unlimited power that will let him take over the universe forever ok now wait just a minute hydroelectric power is pretty freaking cool but it's not necessarily the strongest
1: source of electricity we have. Nah. Megatron's just being overambitious, as usual.
0: Granted, I I will give them this, there could be some cybertronic technology that could let them extrapolate more from hydropower, but certainly, that's never brought up here. Nah. But Starscream expresses his own doubts in his inimitable fashion... And Megatron's solution? Attack right now! Alright.
1: Whatever works.
0: Yeah. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When all you have is a fusion cannon, everything looks like a target. So, back with the Autobots, over the course of what I have to imagine is less than a day. Which, for Cybertronians, might be a reasonable construction period time. Though I wonder how this jives with the building-slash-creation of other new characters.
1: They don't create other characters very often in this show. I I think, for the most part, it's kind of like, and I hate saying this because I love the Dinobots, but a lot of the things they create themselves seem to be lesser creations for the most part. Mm. Or cruder might be the word.
0: So, the Dinobots are brought online, and Ratchet is animated doing the introduction, but the voice is Wheeljack's there's that four-month turnaround time rearing its
1: ugly head. Yeah, there's a lot of voice flub-ups in this scene because, like, Prowl has two completely different voices in his scene. Or is that Blue Streak? Actually, I think it's Blue Streak. Anyways, they look the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's and there's part of the problem. <laughs> but, hey, dinosaur robots, we have them now.
1: Oh, yeah, and Cliffjumper talks with Optimus' voice. Like, yeah, we're what getting can there. do? <laughs>
0: So, we got Sludge, based on what was then called a Brontosaurus, but today is properly classified as an
1: Apatosaurus. Wait, didn't they bring Brontosaurus back? I think I heard that at some point.
0: I'm not sure. I I stopped keeping track. (laughs) It's like
1: whether or not Pluto's a
0: planet. (laughs) Sludge eventually will get the reputation as being the dumb one of the group, which is really saying something for this trio. The Triceratops is slag. Now slug, just due to the prior name being a not particularly nice word over in the United Kingdom. Uh, to our British listeners, we intend no offense with the use of the word, but I imagine you gathered as much in context.
1: I, I do have to say I- I'm not a big fan of the name change to slug. I mean, I understand why, but look, I know slug is the use- is a used gun shell, but- and that's what you're going for. But it's not what the first thing people think of when they hear the word slug. Mm-hmm.
0: Slag slash slug is performed by Neil Ross, who's also Hook and Slinger in this show, Shipwreck and G.I. Joe, and several animated iterations of Han Solo for Star Wars Media. And Slag is uh,
1: the grouchy one. He's or he's the hostile one, as uh, Megatron puts it in one episode. Uh, he's uh, Neil Ross was also the voice of Clyde on the Pac-Man cartoon. Okay.
0: And of course, I have to give the leader's description
1: to his number one fan. Grimlock! Grimlock... Me Grimlock is best! Me Grimlock is smartest Dinobot of all, and most powerful, and leader, and I... T- Me Grimlock turned into T-Rex! Me Grimlock is voiced by Greg Berger, who also voiced Cornfed in... Duckman and Orson and Odie on Garfield and Friends,
0: essentially. And he also has has uh, a problem with naked weasels.
1: Uh, the note of point that Megatron made about Grimlock in the SOS Dinobot episode, because he he mentions all three of them. He's like, uh it's like Slag is hostile, Grimlock is arrogant, and Sludge is stupid. <laughs> But, uh, no, I love Grimlock. Grimlock is my absolute favorite Transformer. I have a lot of Grimlock figures. If I ever met Greg Berger, I would ask him, can you do what would happen if Grimlock accidentally got the script for an episode of Orson's Farm?
0: (laughs) So as the demonstration is being done, Blue Streak reacts three times with three different voices.
1: I don't think a single one of those was Casey Kasem.
0: (laughs) Again, there's that four-month turnaround. And as the trio of Dinobots transform, Cliffjumper reacts with Optimus Prime's voice. Yep. I'm trying to give this allowances because of the schedule, but man, this is making my nitpicky brain have fits on top of fits. That's the third voice-to-character error I've spotted in less than one minute.
1: They got confused because there's three characters that are all red in the same screen. (laughs) 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 Also, Cliff Jeffers also Casey Keesum, so that's another goof on Casey's character.
0: Yeah. So after demonstrating their ability to disintegrate rocks, Wheeljack explains their brains are simple, like actual dinosaurs. But he's working on improvement.
1: Yeah, that was a real smart choice there, Wheeljack.
0: <laughs> he really should have done it sooner, since the new bots go right into attack mode on the Autobots.
1: Yep, they attack and destroy
0: anything and everything. I'll, I'll give Wheeljack and Ratchet this much. They built them with some power. All Sludge has to do is stomp his feet to knock the other Transformers on their backs. Including Optimus. Yeah, No small thing. Bumblebee and Spike try and fail to intercept Grimlock's path of destruction to the control room. Bumblebee, by the way, is performed by David Gilvezin, who is also known for voicing Spider-Man in several media, most notably alongside his amazing friends.
1: He's one of those voice actors that randomly pops up in a lot of shows I've, I've seen. It's like, I'll hear a voice that's familiar, and I don't immediately... Catch it, I'll look it up, and it's almost always either him or the guy who voiced Thundar. (laughs) So, the lovable little yellow guy transforms,
0: and from an audio perspective, pairing up his transformation audio opposite the far deeper pitched ones for the Dinobots is a nice way the show demonstrates relative size amongst its characters, especially when perspective can get a little screwy
1: otherwise. Unfortunately for every everybody, the first thing Grimlock decides to go to and destroy is uh, good old Teletran One, the big ro- the big computer that pretty much runs everything for the Autobots.
0: Yeah, not to be confused with the wiki I used for much of my research. Following a peel out, Bumblebee has to be righted up by Ratchet before he can get the Robo Rex away from the Compi. To
1: the, to the animators' credit, that's a they put a that was a pretty good detailed explosion they y-
0: made. As Ratchet begins his repairs, the battle between the Dinobots and the Autobots continues. As Hasbro attempts to sell kids on how cool these toys are, and boy, they should bug their parents to buy them.
1: Yeah, Trailbreaker uses his force field because you know he gotta show kids that what his special ability is. And unfortunately, his force field rebounds the fire shot at him right into poor Sunstreaker, mm. who complains about how he just waxed himself.
0: Optimus Prime is ready to declare the still-rioting Dinobots a failed experiment, and Wheeljack finally finds a means to stop them, his magnetic inducer. I I think he's never used again or before,
1: (laughs) but I could be wrong.
0: Wheeljack pleads with Prime to let him keep working, but Optimus is resolute that they never see light of day again after that, and they're sealed in the cavern with the fossils that inspired them. Is this an attempt at poetic irony?
1: Impossible, though you can't completely blame Prime. I mean, he cause a hell of a lot of destruction. No kidding. I mean, they practically kind of give him a bit of a like Viking like like death ceremony with the, with like Jazz uh, Blue Streak and Mirage shooting the, shooting the cavern and burying them. Well, it's time to return to the B plot, as at the
0: Great Falls, the Decepticons begin their attack easily pushing back the human guards.
1: <laughs> Those guards don't even try and I can't blame them.
0: <laughs> the defenders try to reach the Autobots for help, but with Teletran-1 out of commission, there's no way for them to reach the good guys.
1: It doesn't take long for Ravage to jump in and pretty much get them out of the way so that the Decepticons can take over the entire... I, don't, I want to say factory, but I know that's not the case here. Base. We can just call the it the entire, entire base. Entire base.
0: And Ravage also gives them no way to reach anyone at all. Yeah,
1: takes out all communications.
0: So Spike and Hound are making the best of Teletraan 1 being down by them going out on patrol duty, which, you know, Hound actually kind of enjoys. Yep, you get to see the scenes. And he quickly picks up Decepticon activity at Great Falls. Relaying the intel to Optimus, he orders the Transformers to roll out, save for Bumblebee, who is left to guard the Ark. Wheeljack also remains, still working on the upgrades for the Dinobots. Blatant foreshadowing at its best.
1: And Ratchet stays as well, so that, you know, he can work on fixing Teleturn 1. Naturally. Though, in all honesty, Ratchet's not exactly a fighter either, for the most part.
0: No. So, the Energon conversion is in progress at the Hydro Plant, and Starscream is still skeptical of Megatron's overarching plan.
1: Of course. I, I do have to say though that when I was a kid, I thought the like energon effect that they used l- on these cubes always looked really cool. Mm-hmm. The Autobots arrive, and Optimus
0: doesn't detect the Decepticons, leading Blue Streak to joke that Hound has a glitch mice problem.
1: <laughs> and finally, Blue Streak gets to talk with his actual voice. <laughs> yep,
0: zinks! Blue Streak is the instantly recognizable Casey Kasem, of course, who also performs Cliff Jumper, as we mentioned earlier. But, of course, Casey's best known
1: for his Hanna-Barbera work. Especially, uh, as mentioned, as Shaggy Rogers. uh, Casey Kasem's also the voice of Teletran One. Okay. And a character that appears in a few episodes by the name of... Dr. Arch-Evil. Okay.
0: (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) The Deceptic creeps spring out of hiding, and here comes another fight scene to sell some plastic doodads. It's lots of lasers, lasers, and more lasers, with attempts at witty banter
1: interspersed here and there. And for some reason, a random scene where, like, I I think Blue Streak's just being a cheerleader before someone lands on him. (laughs) He's just standing there pumping his arm and then, uh, and, uh, frickin', uh, Gears falls on him. Oh, dear. And then, and then immediately, the next scene following it shows Blue Street shooting at, like, Rumble. And it's like, wait a second, you just got knocked over.
0: <laughs> so, Megatron hooks the power supply from the falls to his fusion cannon and works with Rumble to send the Autobots tumbling down into the river. There's just one little problem with this scene.
1: Now you will witness the power of my fusion cannon! Ready, Rumble? Oh,
0: I'm supposed to take that sound seriously as the Decepticons' ultimate weapon. You, you don't <laughs> want.
1: <laughs> Wait, you don't want the thwomp sound. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, but
0: they, they they could have picked something a little more intimidating.
1: Oh, you're going to have fun when we do, whenever we do Dungeons & Dragons because that's also the sound effect they use for Avengers Magic on that. Oh, no. Thump. I don't know. I don't remember, like, where I heard it, but I think someone described that sound effect as, like, a cartoon sound effect of a fat kid being pushed through a small pipe.
0: Regardless, the Autobots struggle in the river going into our second commercial break for the show. Back from it, Bumblebee races in to grab Spike, disobeying orders, but clearly for the right
1: reasons. Awesome. dang, what? I never noticed that Bumblebee has a pink of poultry, ins- I mean, a poultry inside. Nice. Very 80s.
0: Megatron calls on a search for the Autobots, while Bumblebee and Spike report to Wheeljack and Ratchet what happened. Badly outnumbered, Wheeljack reveals his project to hopefully upgrade the Dinobots, and since there's no other options... They go for it. Yep. The Dinobots are reactivated and will obey the Autobots' commands, for now. Grimlock. For now.
1: <laughs> for now. Uh, I I I gotta give the Dinobots credit. You can claim, you can insult their intelligence all you want, but the literally Will Jack didn't give him much to go on. He's like, save our friends, save Optimus Prime. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like somehow we know what to do. <laughs>
0: Back at the power plant. The Autobots are tied up with Energon chains and have to listen to Megatron gloat. I don't know which is worse.
1: And Optimus Prime is blue.
0: Yep, adding to the indignity, there's that cold, Pemmy says Optimus caught.
1: Yeah, that was my thing when I was a kid. I was like, I, when I'd see animation in errors like this, I, I I, could not believe as a kid that these errors were made on accident and there had to be some point to it and I was just missing it. So I was just like, oh no, Optimus is cold. (laughs) He was in the water.
0: (laughs) So the Dinobots and Wheeljack fly in and Slag and Sludge have to quickly sort out who the good guys are before entering the fray.
1: Pretty smart logic. uh, See, wait, which ones are friends? And Sludge is like, ones with face like this, I think. And Sludge is like, that's, and Slag's like, that's good enough for Slag. Start shooting. Yep. Also, interesting note that uh, most people won't notice on this is that uh, for this whole episode, they actually draw Grimlock's robot face wrong for the whole episode. And oh. it's changed immediately with the next appearance he has. Dope.
0: <laughs> so Real Jack disrupts Megatron with a gyro-inhibitor shell, which is enough for Starscream to declare himself the leader of the Decepticons. Oh, <laughs> <All> hail Starscream! <laughs> Wait, no, Grimlock just shot him down.
1: <laughs> pretty much. Starscream's pretty much like,
0: Mika tries tripped and fell! I, am Starscream,
1: is your new leader, gets shot.
0: <laughs> so, there's more fighting, more banter. Wheeljack frees the other Autobots with their discarded weapons, and the Decepticons are ran off. Some good fight scenes, though. Yeah. It's just a little uh,
1: less interesting
0: to describe them in audio than it is to see them in video.
1: This is definitely true, but did get at least a good section of uh, Megatron turning into a gun and uh, attaching himself to Starscream to shoot some people before, like, doing the infamous Decepticons retreat.
0: Wheeljack and Bumblebee are willing to face appropriate punishment, but Spike speaks on their behalf and Optimus admits he was rash and agrees. He also decrees the Dinobots have earned their place within the Autobots' ranks, and there was much rejoicing.
1: I also honestly think this is actually a really good scene for Optimus too, because it shows like why Optimus is such a good leader and such a character that's so beloved. Is even though he's the leader, he's willing to acknowledge that yeah, I was wrong, and pretty much straight up says it. Faults aside, this was goofy fun. That that's what this whole show is. It's it's not Shakespeare. It's pretty much animated junk food. But gosh, it's fun animated junk food. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Now, we're going to skip ahead two years, but this commercial break, thankfully, won't last two years. We'll be right back. The Transformers will return after these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, in the 1980s, the cult tabletop game Dungeons & Dragons was starting to earn mainstream attention, and not all of it was positive. It was into this cultural debate Marvel Productions and CBS brought an animated series based on the game to Saturday morning, making it one of the more controversial cartoons of its era. Was this a deserved reaction? We roll for initiative and judge for ourselves in two weeks. We now return to the Transformers. We now take you forward a couple of years to 1986, Transformers has gotten so big that they were leaving competing robot toy lines in the dust.
1: GoBots, what the hell are GoBots? Well, <laughs>
0: uh, t- GoBots were Tonka's ro- transforming robot toy line, which actually hit store shelves the year prior to Hasbro's line.
1: Sure, we'll have an episode to talk about them someday too, because <laughs> boy, is that show a thing! <laughs> yeah,
0: but Hasbro was a little later to the game of taking their properties from television onto the silver screen. Kenner, via the Care Bears, which were created by my favorite company name of all time, those characters from Cleveland, and Mattel, thanks to the He-Man flick The Secret of the Sword, beat Hasbro to the punch in 1985. These movies, whatever their flaws or merits, principally existed to announce the arrival of new products to the respective toy lines they were based on, specifically the Care Bear Cousins and the Princess of Power line. Now, for more on that latter subject, we invite you to go all the way back to episode two of this very podcast, where we talk about the She Ra cartoon and I share my own stories of shopping in the quote unquote pink aisle during the hypergendered 80s. Now, Hasbro wasn't setting out to necessarily one up these movies with their plans for the Transformers movie. Now, this is a story that deserves its own podcast. And it, we will get there eventually, once we uh, crack the code on how to properly analyze a movie in a format that won't take us hours upon hours. But to get us to where we can sufficiently talk about the other episode we want to discuss, we need to do a quick cliff's note synopsis. So 20 years after the events of the C- Season 2 of The Transformers, the war between the two factions escalates to the point where several Autobots are killed, including Optimus Prime. Kids are traumatized, and Hasbro is caught completely flat-footed by this reaction.
1: I don't know what they were expecting, but...
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take a beloved character with an instantly iconic and warm and friendly, relatable voice, and mercilessly slaughter him.
1: Yeah, the thing is, supposedly they didn't even tell the like voice actors that before they came in to read their scripts, either. Yeesh. Yeah. But in
0: its wake, the 1987 line of characters are introduced, including new leader Rodimus Prime, the fast-talking Blur, and an upgraded Megatron, now redubbed Galvatron, thanks to the machinations of the planet-consuming
1: Unicron. It's Galvatron we're
0: focusing on in this
1: episode, WebWorld. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning that early in Season 3, which is where we are right now, uh, in the five-part, The Faces of Death... Galvatron also has a bit of a plasma bath of sort that, yeah, kind of uh, makes him a little mentally unstable.
0: (laughs) Now, to emphasize this upgrade in the movie, our top gal here was performed by Leonard Nimoy. But Lord knows Hasbro's not paying him for the TV cartoon when the veteran actor is getting lots of cash already for the massive Star Trek revival
1: movies. So instead, it's back to Frank.
0: Yep, but he doesn't quite sound like Nimoy or precisely his previous Megatron performance either. What we get is... uh, Evil Fred Jones? More screechy OG Megatron? Somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah, it's six of one or half a dozen of another. Oh well. And, you know, you can probably blame this change on that plasma bath.
1: Granted, a lot of, uh... A lot of, while well, they still managed to keep Blur's voice actor the same in season three. Some other voice actors got changed, like we do get a brief appearance of uh, Ultra Magnus in this episode, who was voiced by Robert Stack in the movie, but is voiced by Hanna-Barbera veteran Jack Angel in uh, this series.
0: Yep, we'll get to Jack in a moment. Let's begin at the beginning of Web World, written by Len Wein and Diane Duane.
1: Oh, before we go, I just want to also mention this is my entire favorite episode of Transformers. (laughs) For good reason. (laughs) But right off the bat, the difference in tone
0: post-movie is evident. The song is in a different key, the presentation is far more galactically oriented, and the whole thing is frankly colder and a little more
1: menacing. Season 3 is very underrated, in my opinion. A lot of people either didn't watch it or don't seem to like it i actually minus the fact that they actually got a cheaper animation studio they animate most of the episodes studio at com from korea to be exact i actually like season three a lot even if some of my favorite characters are dead (laughs) because uh they're they're far more experimental i think the uh, season three theme song sounds really cool i actually like that version of the theme song even better than the original and they're way more experimental with the plots like Other than this episode, we get, like, episode... We get a zombie Optimus Prime in one episode. We get an episode... We get two episodes with Starscream's ghost. We get an episode where Perceptor gets his, like, electronic brain put into this, like, weird samurai doll. It's crazy. And I kind of love it.
0: So as the Decepticons are flying through space, Ratbat is dispatched for a scan of an asteroid belt... For a material called isodrite to repair their weapons, Galvatron's ranting and raving as Cyclonus tries to keep his impulses in check. Cyclonus being another one of the new toys. Uh, mention who he's voiced by? Yep, Roger C. Carmel, best known to sci-fi fans as the notorious Harry Mudd from the original Star Trek series. Now his turn is not only Cyclonus but Motormaster, Bruticus, and the TV incarnation of Unicron would be among his final performances before his untimely passing in
1: 1986 at age 54. It's sad because that's way too young. I think John Stevenson takes over as Cyclonus for season four, but don't quote me on that. Also, they goof with a sound wave and forget to put the modulation on his voice, and he just sounds like Dr. Claw.
0: (laughs) Now, looking at the designs of Galvatron and Cyclonus as they're depicted here in the cartoon... I can only imagine parents getting confused if their kid asks for the purple one for Christmas and then has to put up with them complaining that they got the wrong one.
1: Made even worse by the fact that Galvatron's uh, actual figure isn't very purple. <laughs> no, it's more blue. Yep. Blue and like gray, yeah.
0: Baba dee, baba die. But that's all beside the point to the episode because it turns out Ratbat not only found Isodrite. But another mining group comprised of Autobots. Galvatron calls for an attack, and the erudite sounding Skylinks raises the alarm for the good guys.
1: I freaking love Skylinks.
0: <laughs> Skylinks is the maiden contribution Aaron Kincaid provided for this series, and he'd go on to perform Killer Croc in Batman the Animated Series and other parts here and there.
1: I, I, I love that he's just this big, massive monstrosity of a robot, and he's got, like, this, like, posh British accent. <laughs> there, I think there's only, like, three figures ever made of Skylinks and I own all three of them. So. Nice. One of which was uh, was a gift for me from my, uh, well, still roommate's uh, slip dance whenever I uh, was in the hospital at one point. And that was the original one, so. Impressive.
0: So the Autobots retaliate, with Ultra Magnus, who is effectively second in command of the Autobots right now, easily throwing the Decepticon's leader into a cliffside. And as Pemmy mentioned, Ultra Magnus is Jack Angel, a long tenured voice actor who took over the role portrayed by Robert Stack in the movie, as well as performing Astro Train, Ramjet, and Omega Supreme.
1: Yeah, I wonder why I wonder why they didn't get Robert Stack first. Right? To continue was it that they was too expensive or to have been maybe it's maybe we can all solve a mystery sorry i had to make it i had to try to throw an uh, unsolved mysteries reference in there
0: don't worry about it i was thinking it too <laughs> an enraged galvatron starts shoving his own allies to get at magnus an autobot's microscope preceptor is bemused to notice he's doing more damage to his own side As to the Autobots, even Sludge comes off as a brilliant mind compared to the various sweeps bombarding them almost aimlessly.
1: The fact that Sludge called said dumb sweep, you can't get more insulted. It's hard to be more insulted than that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A small party of Autobots escapes easily as Galvatron even starts knocking around another of his... uh, closest allies, Scourge, in, their att- in his attempt to help him.
1: I mean, heck, even Sludge, like, slammed the frickin' poor Galvatron at one point.
0: Later, on the planet Char, which is the Decepticon's current base in this part of the timeline, Cyclonus tries to convince Motormaster and Swindle, Swindle being voiced by character actor Johnny Hamer, that Galvatron fights furiously and bravely but the other two are more convinced he's a hindrance to the cause and state that if he doesn't solve the Galvatron problem, they'll solve both Galvatron and Cyclonus.
1: Oof. I, I don't know if I would believe Swindle. Like, while well, he both said that, I, Swindle doing that, he might be more talk. Motormaster, on the other hand, no, nah, he, he's going to go through with that. <laughs> well, Swindle's probably more confident talking
0: with Motormaster to back him up. Fair point. By the way, we don't get to do much with Swindle in these ep- either of these episodes, but for the record, Swindle is freaking awesome.
1: Swindle is great, but my v- favorite version of Swindle is like in Transformers Animated where they pretty much treat him like he's an infomercial host. Megatron, are you seeing this? Are you loving this? I could spring this leak. I'm so excited. Now, what if I tell you? <laughs> so. That's the perfect
0: moment for a hologram of a Quintessian, the five-faced ancient mechanical beings who are tied to the Transformers' origins. Quasi, somehow.
1: Uh they, they the, uh, they created the Transformers to be their slaves, the Transformers rebelled against them, and that happened, like, geez, centuries and centuries ago, but they're, they're still a little upset about it.
0: <laughs> so the Quintessian suggests a planet that specializes in dealing with manias, like Torculon. Cyclonus hardly trusts the duplicitous Quintessens, but admits he
1: needs a solution quickly. Better to try and fail, better to try and fail, than not try at all.
0: Of course, this is a trap. The Quints are using the planet to lure Galvatron and what other other Transformers are caught in the inevitable crossfire
1: to their doom. And not to mention, as they said, they could possibly get rid of not only one of the more powerful Transformers, but one of the more unpredictable ones.
0: Now, Cyclonus's plan is simple enough. To get Galvatron there, he just tells him the Autobots they just fought are resting on that very planet, Torculon. And even while being repaired, the Decepticon's mad leader wants to smash heads. So Cl- Cyclonus doesn't need to work too hard to make the ruse effective.
1: Well, he knows his leader.
0: <laughs> the planet itself is... Uh spiky.
1: That's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah, there's lots of mountain peaks doubting the horizon like spikes drawn into a circle, which to be visible from orbit in such a fashion must mean they're quite tall. It's certainly a distinctive look for a planet.
1: Not exactly the friendliest look either. But...
0: You well, know, Galvatron expects to run into his quarry right away and mistakes the motion he does see for Autobots. It turns out to be a gray-haired, gremlin-like thing that just stammers unintelligibly at Galvatron. And then a blobbish orange creature just calls Galvatron, Mommy! And tries to lick him. This is starting to feel more like a real Ghostbusters
1: episode at this point. Oh, I think that's made more by what uh, Cyclonus finds. Which is a three-headed monster that keeps saying, I have no head, I have no head, I have no head... This is the strangest example of the Rule of Three I've ever seen. (laughs) I I, I do like the scene of Galvatron arguing with the roaring monsters, like, Are you threatening me?
0: (laughs) Finally, on a throne like craft, one of the Torculi, the native residents, descends to inquire if Cyclonus is the new admission. Now, this lead Torculi is performed by Perceptor's voice actor, Paul Eiding, best known for his tenure as Ben 10's grandfather and Colonel Roy Campbell in the Metal Gear games. Nice. Now, he realizes what's actually up as Galvatron is threatening that roaring monster and puts a quick end to it.
1: Or at least puts a shield up to see what, what they can be, what's yeah. going on.
0: He and some other Torculi start to diagnose Galvatron's myriad mental issues, and our top gal realizes he's been had... Neutralized and caged, the treatment can begin. But before that, there's bureaucracy to
1: be dealt with. Yep, we got paperwork in a Transformers cartoon.
0: Yeah, now the episode is beginning to show its true colors, as Cyclonus is practically pummeled with paperwork, billing details, and legal mumbo-jumbo. And he does what everyone on the receiving end of a hospital bill wishes they could do, and shreds the whole thing up once he gets his copy.
1: I just hope that most hospitals don't have parts in labor as one of the forms four you have to sign.
0: Now, according to the Torculi's diagnostics, core parts of Galvatron's circuitry have gone brittle, which is what has led to this current state. Cyclonus just keeps insisting on getting a definitive answer as to whether they can help him, which just gets a hopefully.
1: As I always say, better to try and fail than not try at all.
0: The Torculi transfer the patient to the advanced treatment facility as Galvatron continues to curse Cyclonus for his deception. Pun not intended. <laughs> and said facility looks like something E.C. Geiger would have come up with.
1: Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Except less vaginal.
0: (laughs) As we see more bizarre life forms, and the Torculi begin to try to get a sedated Galvatron to talk about his problems. First with word association, which goes as well as you'd expect.
1: Galvatron, don't fight it. Just say whatever comes to mind. Kill. Smash. Destroy. Uh, yes. Go on.
0: Rend! So Scourge is ready to pull the plug on the whole thing, but Cyclonus insists they give it a chance. And when the Autobots come up, Galvatron's rage becomes such that he overcomes the bio-restraints and assaults the therapist.
1: I love that scene, it's like, I don't like the Autobots, I don't like Cyclonus, and I'm not very fond of you either! I, I have to admit, it's almost kind of weirdly adorable, though, that Scourge is like, this is stupid, let's go. And is and, and like, no, no, let's give it a try. <laughs> now they're
0: trying objective therapy under the theory that assembling external objects can help reassemble the psyche. Galvatron assembles a working blaster.
1: And starts shooting people.
0: <laughs> How did the Torkuli not see that
1: coming? I just like the idea that Galvatron was put in arts and craft and made it gone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Each of these failures is met with a sedation blast onto Galvatron as the Torculis start running out of options. Next up, Exodrama, where the patient is expected to act out their traumas.
1: Also known as roleplay therapy.
0: A bouncing alien thing screeching just makes Galvatron more irate. And he's developing a tolerance to the inhibitor ray, a.k.a. the sedation blast I was referring to. And now they're left with their last resort, the Alia Solution. Yeah, that doesn't sound ominous. Nope.
1: It might cure his, uh, problem with his mind. It also might cure him of being Galvatron.
0: <laughs> yeah, Galvatron continues to protest they can't change him, but the problem is, he's already been changed. Several times, in fact, but the Torculi aren't counting.
1: <laughs>
0: yep. Cyclonus insists he knows what these more drastic measures are supposed to be. And the Torculi state that while the next procedure might cure his mental state, like Pemi said, it might also cure him of being Galvatron. Or being, period. And as this is all being explained, a series of bugs crawl out of Torculin's crust. And Cyclonus asks what they are. These are the aforementioned Alia, a living extension of the planet itself. It turns out Torculon is a living computer, and the Alia consumed the patients too damaged to cure. So since they can't fix him, the planet will eat him!
1: Or his mind, anyways. Yeah.
0: This is frequently construed as a commentary on the process of a lobotomy. And honestly...
1: I can't blame folks for seeing it like that. No, me neither. (laughs) I I also want to state that I actually, at one point in my life, had a really bad nervous breakdown and spent a week and a half in a mental uh, health facility. So that actually makes this whole episode, like, even more hilarious to me. (laughs) Um,
0: In a dark humor sort of way? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now, upon hearing this, Cyclonus insists Galvatron is released. But he and Scourge are restrained, and the Torculi threaten them with the same treatment. As Galvatron screams to be freed, the Alia patch him into the planet's network, and Cyclonus continues to protest that without a mind, Galvatron is just a machine. But the lead Torculi philosophizes that, aren't we all, in a way?
1: I'd
0: like to subscribe to his newsletter. (laughs) And we get a pretty overt coloring error. I think. Yeah. As Galvatron is tapped into by one of the Alia, and the go-ahead for the process is given. He
1: used the wrong purple.
0: And as the Alia eat up, the process starts to go haywire with feedback. Turns out Galvatron's madness is too great even for an entire planet.
1: Yup. His madness overtakes the planet. That is how bad Galvatron is.
0: <laughs> Cyclonus realizes what's up. And the Tercooli are the next miscoloring victims, as the Decepticons are freed from their restraints. I will say this. These are the first major blunders I've noticed in this episode, and it's taken us this
1: long. That's pretty good. This episode's actually one of the better animated episodes of the season, I will say that. But this season also had Carnage and C minor, which, as mentioned earlier, has more errors than like the entire series in one episode. <laughs>
0: Once they're reunited, Cyclonus asks for Galvatron's forgiveness. And that goes as well as you might expect.
1: Cyclonus.
0: <laughs> but the boss has a plan. You see, Galvatron was in the planet's mind the same time it was trying to get in his mind. And he leaves the assault to the oldest part of the planet's infrastructure. Cyclonus realizes his boss really is crazy. But follows anyway. What was that thing Obi-Wan Kenobi said? Who's, or
1: the fool? The fool, or the fool that follows him? Needless to say, Galvatron pulls off his, uh, decision and destroys the main computer of Torculon.
0: Once they're done, Cyclonus states it'll take the Torculi centuries to rebuild. Which to Galvatron is too short, and he wants to do even more harm!
1: Fortunately, good old Cyclonus knows the exact thing to say to distract Galvestron from his current destruction.
0: Yep, he plays the Autobots
1: card. The Autobots? Oh, Magnus! Yes! I kinda love Frank's delivery there.
0: <laughs> so the Decepticons leave the ape-like beings to the tender care of their now-freed patients. I can't imagine that ends well. Nope. Yeah, th- this was an ambush. Vicious episode, and
1: for the most part, they pull it off. Yeah, it's actually a, it's a surprisingly good episode. I would never have expected a satire on mental health facilities in Transformers, of all things. And they do it well and keep the sci-fi aspect of it in check. Like I said, this is my favorite episode because it's just so insane. But also, it's an episode that's dedicated entirely to the villains. The Autobots are barely even in the episode. True. I can't. True. I mean, can you think of any other cartoon where that really happens? I recall
0: one episode of Batman Brave and the Bold that was focused on a Joker team-up. That's the only example I can think of off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, it'd be like if we got an episode of G.I. Joe that was all about Cobra Commander. <laughs> or a He-Man episode that was just all about Skeletor.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, I'd watch that.
0: <laughs> so as the 80s drew to a close, the Transformers got a little... Uh, wonky? That's a good way to put it. Continuity split between Japan and the States' respective cartoons when the Japan-only Headmasters cartoon debuted. And while things kept running there... In the States, the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was quickly overshadowing most of the fading brands from the early half of the decade.
1: Actually, that's something we might be, that we should probably mention that the popularity of this cartoon was so big that Takara actually reissued their original toys as Transformers in Japan. Yes, definitely. Thus, the continuing Headmaster show and whatnot, but figured that would be worth mentioning.
0: Now, one sign of this shift was that the Beastmasters subline in Japan, those toys were released here as Battle Beasts, with no advertised connection to the Transformers. Battle Beast, Battle Beast! Now, the Transformers toy line would kind of meander in the 90s until the arrival of Beast Wars in 1996 with flashy new CGI graphics and a premise set even further into the future of the franchise and kept them going strong into the new century where transformers media and toys have been practically ever present to the current day
1: it's kind of amazing how long this franchise has lasted i mean it's it's still going strong it never really had a it had some ups and downs but there was never really a full stop it feels like or a long stop And this kind of begs the question,
0: why do Transformers keep rolling out strong even to this day, while concurrent brands like Masters of the Universe and G.I. Joe are continually trying to reach something even resembling their prior heights? Nostalgia alone, for goofy characters and fun voice acting, isn't what's keeping this afloat, especially in light of some of the more glaring elements we saw in these cartoons for today's review.
1: Yeah, I mean, kids are still liking this stuff, and, you know, if it was all nostalgia, there wouldn't be new fans coming, and there are constantly new fans coming. Yeah. Uh, it's, I I'd s- simply put, I think robots that turn into cars is just a really cool gimmick.
0: Yeah, it's a durable concept. As you and I were discussing a couple weeks ago off the air, if you like robots, or cars, odds are there's a Transformers toy that will appeal to you in some way. Or if you like dinosaurs. Yeah, but let's discuss... It's the Japanese roots that are the franchise's secret sauce. By having feet firmly planted in both North America and Asia, Transformers is better positioned to
1: deal with shifting tastes in one region or the other. Yeah, I think that and the fact that Takara is still making a major- making the toys helps too. Well, it's not T- Tomi Takara, but you know. The fact that they're still the ones in charge of making the toys for Hasbro helps a lot too.
0: Just as a unit of comparison, G.I. Joe sure doesn't translate as neatly to foreign markets as the Transformers do. I'll tell you that for free.
1: Oh, you mean Action Force?
0: Yeah, case in point. So, if you want to watch the Transformers today, it's easy to find the episodes. But to find the best versions takes a little more work. You see, the majority at least, if not all of them... Are available on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube page, but there's a catch. Way back in the early 2000s, when DVDs were a new thing, Rhino Records had had licensed to do Transformers releases, and they tried to quote-unquote clean up the series. Yeah, it's not good. They wound up creating more problems, adding extraneous sound effects even to the commercial bumpers and miscoloring robots and leaving out special effects that were added in post-production and on and on and on. And the YouTube version on Hasbro Pulse has the video of these Rhino Entertainment releases, but the original audio married to that. Which is
1: weird. Yeah. I wonder why they don't just use the Shell Factory version.
0: Yeah, if you want the, the closest to the original experience you can get, Look for the Shout Factory versions. They it's went we back watched. and recorrected the, the errors, and the episodes are looking good.
1: Yeah, they look good. The, they definitely remastered and high-definitioned it.
0: So we will definitely be returning to this subject in the future, probably sometime next year, in some capacity. We just haven't quite decided which yet, but rest assured, the adventure will continue.
1: Cause boy howdy, I love me some transformers.
0: In the meantime, uh, I wonder if Energon Cubes taste like
1: breakfast cereal. There's only one way to find out. Yep, let's go. Whoa, tastes like burning.
0: Oh. <sighs> Off to the burn ward. See you next time. New page
1: The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny, funny cartoon podcast!
0: The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.